know, you read texts like this and you begin to get this really lovely, rosy picture of life in the early church. Everyone is kind and loving, looking after each other, green with one another, one mind, one accord. Well, any of us who've been around churches very much knows that there are times when that really is true. Some wonderful things happen in churches. But what any of us who've been around churches very long also knows is that that kind of unity is a sometimes thing. Other times the picture isn't so pretty. We quarrel, we squabble, we don't agree on a whole lot of things. Why do you think Paul wrote passages like this? It's because his churches were more like ours and they needed to hear what he had to say. His churches too squabbled and quarreled and when Paul writes, bear with one another, he's writing it because there were people that were pretty hard to bear with. Individual churches struggle to get along with their, within their congregation, and they also, even in Paul's day, struggled to get along with congregations in the broader church. Those early Christians threatened to divide over whether they would let those people, meaning Gentiles like us, into the church and under what conditions. It wasn't unlike today when every mainline denomination threatens to split along conservative and liberal fault lines. The issue may be sex or abortion or feminism or how we welcome BLT folk or, you know, you can add your own pieces. The temptation is always to feel that my side has a corner on the truth and those other folk really aren't Christian. And in such arrogance, Paul speaks, lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, humility was not a virtue for the ancient Greeks. They thought it belonged to slaves. But you know, it always shows up in Paul's list of Christian virtues. And it describes those folk who keep their pride in check, who know themselves well enough to be honest about who they are and who they are not, and who understand that the other folk around them are also children of God, loved and valued by God. So no wonder Paul puts it first. Because without humility, there probably would never be unity. And to humility, add gentleness and patience, and then maybe, just maybe, you may be able to bear with one another in love. Now, we all know some people are really easy to love. Our calling as Christians stretches us to bear with those who aren't so easy to love. It sends us toward those who are a problem, who unsettle us, who challenge us, who make us roll our eyes and grit our teeth. And even if we can't love them emotionally, if we can bear with them patiently and kindly, we've made a big step toward including them in the one body. Notice that Paul's advice has to do with how we treat one another. <clears throat> it doesn't say we all have to agree. In fact, Paul is realistic enough to know that we won't all agree. I mean, he didn't agree with everyone. He and the Jerusalem church were knocking heads quite a bit, and he and Peter had some pretty serious arguments. What's notable is that Paul takes his own advice. You know, I suspect he was a fierce opponent. 
And yet he goes to his churches, these little struggling groups with problems of their own, and he asks them to send an offering back to the very church that's given him such a hard time. There was a famine back in Jerusalem, and he felt it was really important for the little church that he's serving to send money back to Jerusalem to help the folk who are struggling there. It's an incredible act of love. So how could he do that? Well, you know, he couldn't do it if he was determined to win at all costs. And he couldn't do it if he thought he was disagreeing, if he thought being disagreeable made you a bad person. And I think that's one of the things watching the reports about John McCain this week, is that he was able to appreciate people that disagreed with him. Well, Paul certainly couldn't do it if he thought salvation lay in specific fine points of doctrine. It was only because Paul and the Jerusalem church agreed on one fundamental thing that they were able to stay together and live with their differences. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. So baptized in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we put our trust in him. And that's the center of our faith. It's what holds true even when the edges threaten to spin out of control. And the more I've had to struggle with the reality of church life, the more convinced I am that if we keep Jesus Christ as our focus, then the more able we are to get through the places where we disagree. But as soon as we start defining where the edges are, we begin to get ourselves in trouble. You know, we've all heard people say, well, if you're going to be a Christian, you have to act this way. And, of course, if you have to do this, then don't you also have to do that? And pretty soon we're drawing very tight lines around who's in and who's out. And we lose that sense of humility that sets us on the way to life together. You know, theory is fine, but it always boils down to specifics. There was a study guide written on this text, and it says, suggest practical ways to maintain unity while dealing with these persons. An abusive spouse who constantly belittles his, his wife and partner at church dinners. An unruly teenager who writes off-color remarks on the whiteboard in the Genesis room. A loud, off-key singer in the choir. Now, we don't have any of those, but you can imagine. <laughs> but you can go on and add your own examples. The issue of how we include or welcome our gay, lesbian, transgender brothers and sisters is one that has torn apart a lot of congregations and even denominations. Congregations left the PCUSA when we said, yes, we will ordain for gifts and not for sexual orientation. And in all the struggles we've had with this and a variety of other issues, the question most of us have to answer is, how am I going to live with the folk with whom I disagree? So how are you going to do that? Well, one step is to listen to each other. Several years ago, when the General Assembly met in Wichita, Kansas, we were having one of our perennial discussions around issues that really threatened to tear us apart as a denomination. That time we made it through. And commenting on it, the Wichita Eagle, the newspaper, editorialized, in the final analysis, the Presbyterians healed their division simply by acting like Presbyterians. They belong to a denomination that believes all people should be heard, that conducts even its most vexing business in a deliberate and orderly way, 
that prizes decency and civility in its problem-solving process. We can see a little more of that on the national scene. But that's a high compliment to our denomination, and it's a real challenge sometimes to live into it. St. Augustine wrote, In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. So his advice is a good place to start and to come back to when we're tempted to write off the folk with whom we disagree or put up barriers. Remember Augustine. In essentials, unity. Jesus Christ is Lord. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. And remember Paul. You were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one birth, one God and Father of us all, who is above all and in all and through all. Amen.